So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I represent a ministry called Unmuted. Um, After pastoring for 16 years in Providence, Rhode Island, or East Greenwich, Rhode Island, uh, God laid it on my heart to launch a ministry called Unmuted. And in particular, the mission of Unmuted is to give victims of trauma their voices back. The Bible speaks of Jesus healing a mute man, and when he healed the mute man, the Bible says that his tongue was loosened. And many of us have been muted by life, we've been muted by childhood abuse, uh, been muted by domestic violence. Um, My mission, mandated by God, is to give victims their voices back. Um, So I don't really come to you today as a theologian, um, although I certainly believe in theology, I believe in the Bible. I do take more of a behavioral scientist perspective. I come with a very specific message uh, today, and uh, I believe God has a word for you, and I believe that uh, maybe in the beginning of the message you might say, that's not me, Uh, but by the end of it, uh, I believe the Holy Spirit can tailor this message, trim it for you, land this plane where you live. Um, That's the power of the word of God, amen? Why don't we begin by praying? Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to be here this morning. I pray, Father, for those that are here that maybe have been traumatized, uh, whether they've been in abusive relationships or neglected as a child, products of divorce, those that have just gone through adversities, that have lost their voice, as Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let your people go this morning. Loosen every woman and every man in this place that's bound by something. Loosen them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Turn to the book of Exodus, chapter five. I want to talk to you this morning. The the name Exodus, the book of Exodus, Exodus means to come out of something. Exodus means to make an exit. Vamoose, depart. And I want to speak more specifically out of coming out of a controlling relationship. I tend to preach very niche topics, um, but I I believe the Word of God is as fresh as the morning newspaper. I believe it's the greatest psychology book ever written. I think it has a prescription for every ailment you suffer from, whether physical or emotional. And I pray more specifically for those that may be in controlling relationships and those that are living with the damage of having been in a controlling relationship. I want to go to the book of Exodus because, again, Exodus is about coming out of something. I want you to say this with me. Ready? One, two, three. Say, I'm coming out. One, two, three. I'm coming out. One more time. Let's say, let's say it with a little rhythm. One, two, three. I'm coming out. All right, stop right there. We don't want to go any further with the lyrics of the song. Just stop right there. Exodus chapter 5. It says, Moses and Aaron went in, and they told Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. They said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days in the journey and meet with him. King of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are too numerous. Make them 
Do not make them rest from their labor. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people in the offices saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather their own straw. You shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce that quota for they are lazy. They cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Father, again, just bless this word. Anoint these lips and anoint, more importantly, our ears to hear the truth, because the truth shall set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this husband and wife, after 40 years of marriage, pass away just minutes apart from one another. And when they get to heaven, the husband Here's the archangel Michael saying, all the men who wore the pants in the family stand in this line. All the men whose wives wore the pants in the family stand in that line. The guy inches towards the line where he wore the pants and the angel approaches him and he says, what are you doing here? He says, I've been watching you for the last 40 years. He says, you don't belong in this line. You belong in that line. He says, why are you here? He says, my wife told me to stand here. (laughs) I want to talk to you about coming out of controlling relationships. Chances are, every one of you, at some point or another, have lived with a pharaoh. A parent a spouse, a child, some pharaoh. A leadership is God's idea. It's not a man-made concoction. It is a divinely inspired convention. God puts people in charge. There's a beauty to leadership. We learn to trust. We learn to submit. There are virtues that can only be cultivated when you come under certain leadership, and under that leadership, we grow. Amen? But when God puts people in charge, the purpose of power, when he gives power, Romans says that it's God that gives power. He establishes authority. He calls pastors. He calls teachers. He calls leaders. He even appoints governors and senators and presidents. When he puts people in power, he gives people power to empower, not to overpower. But a pharaoh is a person in this story. He's one of many leaders through the centuries. And maybe you've even had your own experiences with pharaohs in your life. That his idea of power is not to empower others, but to overpower others. His idea of power is to take all the glory for himself and to become like a god to the people. It's a controlling relationship. Now, when God handles you and I, the kind of relationship he has with us, the Holy Spirit, he may convict you, he may even convince you, and he may even convert you, but he will never control you. The Bible says we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The word offer means to willingly give something up. God does not grab your will, you give your will. He's not into grabbing, he's into giving. 
He's into this idea that you would make a choice, that you would make a decision, that it's your free will, it's a gift he gave you, it's a liberty he afforded you, that you would use that liberty and you would make a conscious decision, a decision from your heart to serve him. He doesn't control anyone. He may convict you, he may convert you, but he never controls you, amen? If God were to control you, if he were to take away your free will, he would render all of love into powerlessness. He would render all of love into meaninglessness. He's looking for creatures to offer themselves. The Bible says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Any relationship that would cost you your liberty, any relationship where you're no longer making decisions, but you're just following directions, you're no longer choosing, you're no longer deciding, any relationship where you've lost all your liberty is a controlling relationship. It's not how God designed you. He designed me to be free to be me. Amen? Somebody say, I'm free to be me. We offer ourselves. It doesn't grab. We give. The importance of making a decision that you decide to follow Jesus, that you decide to serve your church, that you decide to pray, to read your Bible, that no one is strong-arming you into it. No one's guilt-tripping you or fear-tacticking you into doing what you do, that you make decisions. You don't just mindlessly follow directions. Anybody with me? Have you been in a controlling relationship? Have you had a pharaoh in your life? Somebody that's took charge. Because you've got to be careful. People will take charge if you let them. Amen? President Ronald Reagan, who served as the 40th president, he would often share a story on the importance of making your own decisions. He said when he was a little boy, he went to the cobbler, he ordered a pair of shoes, and the cobbler said, do you want squid tiptoes or do you want rounded tiptoes? He said, can you give me a few days to think about it? Well, the cobbler never heard from President Reagan. President Reagan, a few days later, he walks into the cobbler's to pick up his shoes. He's only about 11, 12 years old. When he picks up the shoes, there's one squid tip and there's one rounded tip. President Reagan said, he said, what is this? He said, is this a mistake? And the cobbler said, no, this is not a mistake. He said, let this be a lesson to you. He said that if you don't make decisions for yourself, then expect your decisions to be made for you by someone else. Because someone is waiting to take the reins, that there will be people that will capitalize on your, they'll capitalize on your helplessness, they will capitalize on your, your, your predisposition to please, your predisposition to uh, esteem for someone else's opinion, there will be pharaohs in your life if you don't make decisions. And in this particular passage, we have a group of people that known as the Hebrews, and they, they, they don't know how to live in liberty. And because they don't know how to live in liberty, they come under tyranny. And when you can't live in liberty, when you don't know how to live in liberty, you will come under someone, someone's tyranny. Now, we don't war against flesh and blood. Amen? The enemies are not the enemy. But the enemies are used by the enemy, the captors in your life, whether it be a, a mom, a dad, and sometimes it's the people that do the most for us because now they feel entitled to have a little say-so. I stop asking certain people for money because I don't want to deal with their opinion. Amen? Right? I don't want her money because I don't want her opinion. If I take her money, I got to deal with her opinion. I don't know what I'm talking about. 
Well, in our story, there's a Pharaoh, and he's taking control of the people, and he, he doesn't motivate people. Good leadership will always motivate you, but he manipulates people. Good leadership will motivate you to do what's expedient. Bad leadership will manipulate you to do what's expected. Pharaoh is not a good leader. He doesn't motivate the people. He manipulates the people. He doesn't empower the people. He overpowers the people. He doesn't encourage them. He enslaves them. Now, there are people here right now that you're either A, in a controlling relationship and you've been overpowered, or B, you're living with the psychological damage of having been controlled. That's not how God made you. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Say that with me. Say, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free. It's for freedom. It's for freedom. It's for freedom. Let my people go. Now, this morning, I want to I kind of expose to you the playbook of Pharaoh. I want to shed light on these controlling tactics because you, you and I need to be aware of the enemy's schemes. Not only aware of the enemy's schemes, meaning the devil himself, but how he uses people, how he can use an employer, how he can use even a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner, someone that comes and browbeats you, uh, tames you, domesticates you, castrates you, and puts you into a position where you've lost all liberty, where you're no longer making decisions, you're just following directions. It's a scary thing, isn't it? But it's a reality. It's a reality that when we come out of that reality, we may come out of it, but it could take years for it to come out of us. In fact, when the people of Israel, the Bible says they came out of Egypt, they only come out of Egypt in a matter of days, but when they're in the wilderness, Egypt comes out of them, and it's in a matter of years. In days, they come out of Egypt, but in years, Egypt comes out of them. That they're out of this tyrannical situation, they're out of this controlling relationship, and now they're in this place called the wilderness. They've made the exodus, but now in the wilderness, everything that's been put in them has to come out of them. As a person that's dealt with all kinds of people from all kinds of trauma, I can tell you it takes years of reprogramming to people to, to find some autonomy and to live in liberty and not to come under anything controlling ever again. I, I, I bet if you're not in a controlling relationship, you know somebody that is. A sister, a brother, someone. I pray that today's message, maybe it's for you, but maybe it's to equip you to help someone else, to be your brother's keeper. You have a responsibility to intercede for them. This Pharaoh was real. He's still here. We're reading about a man that did what he did 5,000 years ago, but the spirit of Pharaoh, that controlling, manipulative spirit is still very alive and well in the world around us, and yes, even in the church. What I want you to see in this story is I want to just kind of expose this playbook. I want to show you how controlling relationships work. It's all there in Exodus 5. I will be as exegetical as possible. It's right there in the chapter. Pharaoh does three things to control the people. Number one, he distances them. Number two, he deprives them. And number three, he demeans them. Number one, he distances them. 
Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh, and they ask Pharaoh, let the people go, let them gather, let them congregate, let them go to the mountain of worship and worship their God, Yahweh. And what does Pharaoh do? The Bible says he forbids them. He bans them from convening with each other, and he bars them from congregating before their Savior. He puts a wall or a wedge between them and the people of God, and he puts a wedge between them and God. He distances them from their system of support. He's got them all to himself. They can't meet with the people of God, and they can't meet with God. Um, I have a 26-year-old daughter. It was pretty scary. A few years ago, she got wrapped up in a relationship, abusive relationship. Wasn't abusive at first. He was a nice guy. He was charming. She brought him to dinner. He told jokes. He was charismatic, but he's just planted little seeds in her mind, little seeds of mistrust towards the people of the church. She starts backing up from the church. Little mis- mistrust towards her parents, her mother and I. She, we, she starts backing up from her mother and I. Next thing you know, he buys two plane tickets. He wants to move to Florida. He finds an apartment, cheap apartment in the panhandle. He'll take care of her. He wants to move her out of Rhode Island. Right, I start interceding right before she gets on the plane, just a few days before she packs her bags, and they fly to the panhandle. All of a sudden, his superficial affection turns to explosive aggression, and she looks at me, and she says, Dad, she says, I don't know what happened. He changed. I said, he didn't change. I said, the mask fell off how many know sometimes it's not that people change it's that the mask fell off and she realizes for the first time that all this time he's been trying to distance her he's been trying to pull her away from her system of support so he can have her all to himself your brain produces a chemical called oxytocin they call it the bonding hormone that particular hormone causes you to crave connectivity The hormone is so powerful that if you were to be isolated or abandoned on an island, if you were cast away on some island and there was nobody there, you would take a volleyball, you would turn it into your best friend, you would call it Wilson, and if that volleyball should ever leave you, you would lose your mind. That's how intense oxytocin is. Oxytocin says that if I pull you away from everyone, even if I beat you, even if I call you names, even if I insult you, if I get you to myself, you will form a bond with me that is so intense because oxytocin demands connectivity with something. Pharaoh knows if I can keep these people to myself, if I can get them away from God, if I can cut them off from their system of support, I can have them all to myself. Listen, if we could do that with a volleyball, do that with anyone. You know, being in a controlling relationship, it's like being in a room, pitch dark, the electricity's off, you can't see, you can't think straight, your perception is gone, completely dark, can't see anything. But then right above your head, as you're capsized in the corner, you realize there's a window. You open the blinds. Now, all of a sudden, the light from the outside expels the darkness on the inside. And that's your system of support. The Bible says in the counsel of many that there is safety. 
that he puts people in your life that are outside of your world. They're outside of your head. They're outside of your thinking. They're outside of your situation. Those counselors, those advisors and pastors, they are the light that comes from the outside that expels all darkness on the inside. When you are trapped in your own situation, you can't see straight. If you want a definition for water, don't ask a fish. You have no counter perspective of what's happening. You are trapped in a room that is pitch black. You need to reach out for light that is coming from the outside to bring some light on the inside. Amen? So I, I, I just want to say this to you. If you're in a relationship right now and somebody's trying to put a wedge between you and this church, I'm talking to somebody in here. Somebody's trying to put a wedge between you and this pastor. Somebody's trying to put a wedge between you and the people you love and the people you trust. And your world is getting smaller and smaller. And you're not going to the parties anymore. And you're not showing up at the family dinners anymore. And you're not going to the church services anymore because you lost trust. And you've, you're cynical now. You're taking on a worldview where nobody can be trusted. You are in a dangerous position. Open up the blinds. Let the light in. Let the light in. I hope I'm talking to somebody in here this morning. Let the light in. He wants you all to himself. Distances the people. They can't go. They can't meet with each other and they, can't, they certainly cannot meet God. No light. No light. Can't see. He distances the people. Controlling relationships will always, always distance you. Number two. He deprives them. He says, no straw. They're going to carry the bricks. They're going to carry the bricks from point A to point B. They're going to transport the bricks. In the process of transporting the bricks, you're going to meet a daily quota. But this time, they're going to do it, and they're going to do it with no straw. But yet, they're going to keep having to meet the same quota. Now, to deprive them of straw, understand, I'm going to break this down for you. I'm going to bring this into context. To deprive them of straw is not just depriving them of some luxury. It's not some high-end amenity. We are talking about the most basic necessity. We are talking about the supply to survive. That brick, when it comes out of the furnace, when they would fashion a brick, they put it in a furnace. When they take it out of the furnace, the brick is so hot that immediately they would bundle it with a particular kind of straw, a very thick cord that would keep that brick from falling apart. Apart because if the brick falls apart, they can't transport the brick successfully. They can't meet their daily quota, and therefore, off to the sword they go. So to deny them straw is to deny them the very supply that they need to survive. If I take away a straw, you can't bundle the bricks. If you can't bundle the bricks, you can't meet your quota. If you can't meet your quota, off to the sword you go. So they've taken away the very supply they need to survive. And this is what controlling relationships do. They deprive. They deprive you of the very things you need to function. The very things you need to live, to get the job done, to breathe. When you're in a controlling relationship, perhaps it's the denial of affection. You know how much we need affection as people? You know, we have a little gland underneath our brain. It's called the pituitary gland. That particular gland is the master gland in your body. It secretes your organs. It gives you sweet sleep at night. It even causes you to grow and to develop. That gland is so important. It keeps you healthy. What activates that gland is touch, hugs, kisses, compliments, affection. 
That without that affection, it's why the Bible says in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. That's why the research says that people that are single, that live like hermits outside community, that their lifespans are much shorter than those that live in community, that those that have healthy relationships because their pituitary gland isn't doing its job. So when you're in a controlling relationship and you're being denied affection, you're not just being denied something that's, well, you're just too needy. You just need too much affection. You are being denied the very thing you need to function. No straw. No straw. Without straw, you can't function. You can't get the job done. You need affection. Anybody need affection? We need affection. Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. We need affection. Go ahead, hug somebody. Shake somebody's hand. Give somebody a high five, fist bump. Do something. Slap somebody. Kick them. Do something. <laughs> he just grew two inches. I'm 5'7". I want to be six feet. Can somebody hug me, please? Hugs, please. <laughs> When he takes away the straw, he's taking away the very thing they need to live. Because if they don't meet that quota, execution, very thing they need to live. That's what control the relationship. They take away from you the things you need. Maybe your expression. Maybe you're in a relationship where you can't open your mouth. You're denied the right to say anything. You can't share your opinion. Anytime you share something, you're made to feel stupid, made to feel crazy, made to feel dramatic. You overreact. You don't make any sense. Can just shut you down. You get to a point where you stop sharing your opinion. You know what happens? Expression is what raises your dopamine level. Dopamine is the feel-good chemical. It makes you happy. You know what happens when you have no dopamine because you're not expressing yourself? You get depressed. When you have something impressed inside of you and you can't express it, impression without expression equals depression. To have something in you, to have it shut up in your bones and you can't open your mouth. You can't communicate. You have no prerogative to say anything. You have no right to contribute anything to the discussion. You get depressed. These are basic things that we need. Maybe it's money. People that just withhold money from you. I mean, you got to ask that, can I borrow a dollar? You live without security. The feeling of security is so important. These are all things that happen in a controlling relationship. Pharaoh knows what he's doing. To this very day, there are pharaohs in your life, and they know what they're doing. They know what to withhold, and by withholding what they withhold, they control you. Now, you know, you think, well, well, wouldn't that cause a rebellion? Wouldn't that make people stand up and revolt? No. That kind of slavery, it doesn't produce a rebellion. If you go back and study the days of slavery, there were far more Uncle Toms that said, yes, sir, than there were rebels and mavericks. Eventually, that negative reinforcement says this. Your brain says, well, if he could take this away from me, what else can he take from me? I'm not going to defy. I'm going to comply with everything he says. Pharaoh knows what he's doing. He's depriving. He takes something away, and he knows in their brains they're going to think, what else is he going to take away? When the premier of Russia, Joseph Stalin, in the 1950s, he was the premier of Russia from 1943 to 1952, when he was on his deathbed, dictator, awful, maniacal, I mean, probably definitely worse than Hitler, 16 million people. 16 million people he killed. That's what happens when the wrong people are in charge. Have you had the wrong people in charge in your life? 
It's a scary thing when the wrong people are in charge, isn't it? New person steps in the position of leadership of the job, new employer, new boss, company sells to a new owner, new pastor. It'd be scary when somebody new is in charge. Uh, Stalin's about to step down, he's dying, and legend has it he had two men at the foot of his bed, both potential candidates to take his place, and he gave them a test. He had to make an appointment to see who would take his place. He told both men, go outside. He said, get a chicken from my farm. He said, bring it in here. He said, whatever man can control the chicken is worthy to manage a nation. Both men come in. The first man's too aggressive. He kills the chicken. The second man is too passive. The chicken gets away. Stalin says, bring a third bird in here. He takes the third bird. Stalin takes the bird. He puts him in his hands. He plucks out one feather at a time. Just one feather at a time as the bird's going wild. One feather at a time. Finally, the bird's been stripped completely naked. And the bird just sits still, frozen in his hands. And Stalin says, and he's grateful for even the warmth that comes out of my hands. That's how the enemy works. You think there's going to be a fight? You think you're going to resist? You think you're going to you're rebel? Most people, most people, most slaves during slavery, most people that are held captive against their, their will. We, we know of a few. We have books written about them, movies told. But they're just a few. They're an anomaly. They're not the norm. Most people will not defy. Most people will comply. Most people go along to get along. Just go along to get along. How is it one man could commit so many atrocities in 1940s Germany? How is it that one man could do all that he did and so many people stand on the sidelines and do absolutely nothing? How did one man get away with committing one of the most devastating events in history known as the Holocaust because most people do not critically think for themselves. Most people don't make decisions. They just follow directions. Isolation turns to devastation. The enemy comes and he, what does he do? He distances you. He deprives you. Lastly, he demeans you. What does Pharaoh say? He says they're lazy. Those names, those insults, those harsh adjectives, what do they say? Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will never hurt me. That's not true. Those names are devastating. Lazy, loser, failure power of a name, that we grow into the very names we're given, that we become what we're called. When Dr. Martin Luther King was interviewed by a journalist in the early 1960s, they asked him, the journalist was very bold in his question, he said, he said, Dr. King, let me ask you a question. He said, do you believe it's true that the average Negro is oversexed, lazy, and all he wants to do is dance? Dr. King gave him an answer that shocked him. He said, Yes. Journalist just looked at him strange. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, what would you become if for 400 years you were called lazy, oversex, and all you ever wanted to do was dance? Because we grow into the very names we're given. They become a part of our self-image. That The voice of your captors becomes your thoughts. That how they think of you, eventually you think of yourself. And as a man thinketh in his heart, as a woman thinketh in her heart, so he shall become. We grow into the very names we're given. Pharaoh says the people are lazy. They're idle. They're, they're losers. They can't do anything. Now, if you're living right now and you've gotten out of a relationship like that, 
chances are their voice became your thoughts. Their words became your thoughts. And you live all your days with an inner critic, some voice that says you're lazy, some voice that says you're a loser, you can't do it right, you don't measure up, you're a failure. Some voice that says you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough. Some voice that just became a part of your thoughts. You believe it, you grow into it. He calls them lazy. I want you to back up and think about this. If you're living with that inner critic right now, and you got a voice that's telling you that you don't measure up because you're not meeting your quotas, Anybody in here set quotas? Any goal setters in this place? And you, you don't meet your goal. And every time you don't meet your goal, you feel lousy. You go to bed at night, and if you put 10 things on the checklist and you only hit off about six, your self-esteem took a beating. You're not meeting your quotas. And you always feel like you're not measuring up because you're not meeting the quota. You feel lazy. You feel like a loser. I want you to back up and think about this. This is what they forget because it's so entrenched in the situation. We can see it studying it from the outside. But when you're living every day hearing that voice lazy, you forget about this. They're carrying bricks without straw. They're carrying stuff that's falling apart. I'm talking to people right now that have been carrying stuff their whole life that's falling apart. Quit being so hard on yourself. You did the best you could carrying a childhood that's falling apart. Carrying a parent that's fallen apart. Carrying a marriage that's fallen apart. Carrying a ministry that's fallen apart. Carrying stuff that's fallen apart. Wondering why you're not getting the degree that your buddy got across the street. Let's just face it. This bothers some people. Nobody wants to hear about this. I understand it. Sometimes our conservatism blinds us from seeing this. But here's the bottom line. Not everybody was dealt the same hand at birth. That's just the truth. Why did Joe across the street get his degree and you didn't get your degree? Has he walked a mile in your shoes? Did he carry stuff that was falling apart? Or did he have parents that paid the way? Did he have parents that were supporting him all through school and showing up at every ball game while you went from orphanage to orphanage? For some of you, all your life, you've been carrying stuff that's falling apart. So Pharaoh's assessment of you, his evaluation of you is unjust, it's unfair, it's inaccurate. Your own evaluation of you is unjust, it's unfair, it's inaccurate. You need to be quit, quit being so hard on yourself because some of us have been carrying stuff all our lives that's falling apart. Carrying bricks without straw. But it's, you know, it takes a minute to realize this. Realize, well, maybe I'm doing better than I, better than I thought. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Amen. How many could say I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be? I'm not where Joe is, and I'm not where Bill is, and I'm not where Pastor is, and I'm not where Deacon is, and I'm not where Elder and Bishop is. But man, I'm far. I'm further than I've ever been before. I keep evaluating myself according to my first cousin. My first cousin did this and my first cousin. Well, your first cousin had a mom and a dad and your first cousin had a whole lot of love and affection and you spent your whole life carrying bricks without straw. You spent your whole life with challenges that they didn't have. Guess what? You're doing a better job than you even realize. Somebody say this with me. Say, I am enough. I have enough. I did enough. 
Say it again. Say, I am enough. I have enough. I did enough. Let that yoke come off you right now. That quota. You're not meeting whatever that quota is. Enemies having a lot of fun with many of us. Beating ourselves up. Condemning us. I'm talking to the condemned this morning. I'm talking to the condemned. I'm talking to those that are continually punishing themselves. They wonder why you go back to drinking, why there's so much relapse, why we keep falling in the same scenario. If you live with that much cortisol, which is a stress hormone, or stress, stress hormone you live with that much stress, I drink too, right? God wants to free you of that. He wants to free you, not only from a controlling relationship, but maybe you're out of it this morning. It needs to come out of you. Say, I'm making an exodus. Say it with me. Say, I'm making an exodus. I'm coming out. Can I have the worship team come up here? Hallelujah. You know, I think, I don't believe this is the case about Pastor Brian because I've spent enough time with him to discern his very gracious spirit. This seems to be a very grace-centered community. But I'm going to tell you, by and large, the church, the religious church, which is no different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day, have not helped what I'm preaching. The church has done a really good job at just becoming another pharaoh. It has. And not just the Catholic church. Oh, that's the Catholic church. They put guilt trips on it. Oh, we Pentecostals do a nice job of that too. We evangelicals can do a really good job of that. You can stop playing anytime. <laughs> Music soothes the savage beast. The lowest point of captivity, lowest point, is the end game of Pharaoh. Is is to get you to think of yourself exactly how he's saying it. His worldview and your worldview, you're lost. I mean, it just there's no more you. You become a minion of what he says. How you feel about yourself is exactly what he says. The, the slowest point of capt- captivity. Not just hold your body captive, hold your mind and your heart captive. Lowest point. And you start to actually think that there must be something wrong with me that he treated me that way. And by the way, if you were a child and you were growing up with a pharaoh, you had to think that way. That was your survival. You know why it was your survival? Because your parent had to be good. Conversely speaking, if he's treating you this way, that means you're bad. Why did your parent have to be good? Because it was the only caretaker you had. Oxytocin demanded a relationship. It demanded bonding. To preserve the relationship with mom and dad, they had to be good. You had to be bad. 
You spend your whole life thinking I'm bad. I, that must, must be me. If people are attacking me, it must be because there's something wrong with me. I must have did something wrong. I'm going to change this. I just changed my personality a little bit. Maybe I'll be quieter. If I'm quieter, I'm not as loud, they'll be happy with me. More obedient. Do more. I'll do more. I'll just keep doing more. If I just please, eventually they'll be happy with me. Eventually they'll give me their approval. I think I'm bad. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I was seven years old, my mom had this friend. Her name was Anne Marie. And Anne Marie was a two face. Just two face. Right? Really nice to me when mom was around. As soon as mom turned around, she said the meanest things to me. I was like six or seven. Right? And I was like, what's up with this lady? Like, why does she hate me so much? What's going on with this? And then one day I realized, I grew up, I figured it out. Anne Marie had a long-standing feud with my father. And when she looked at me, she saw my father. It made her angry. You know why the enemy hates you? Because you look just like your father. You know why certain people in your life hated you? Because the spirit in you annoyed the hell out of the demons in them. Your greatness infuriated their darkness. You know why Pharaoh attacked the people? Not because they were, they were bad, they were horrific. Bible says he attacked them. If you go back a couple of chapters, if you rewind the tape, he attacked them because they were too numerous. He was threatened by them. He saw the potential. He saw the greatness. He saw the power. He was threatened by it. Your enemy is not attacking you because there's something wrong with you. Chances are you're under attack because there's something right with you. The relentless attack in this life is by the one who knows what you can be and he fears it. He fears it. Pharaoh says they're getting too numerous. They're too big. The hand of God is on them. The anointing is resting on them. I got to do something to shut this down. Your enemy didn't attack you because you're bad. He attacked you because you're great, because you're sacred, because you look like your father, because there's potential in you. There's nothing wrong with you. You were made in his likeness. He knits you together in your mother's womb. If you can just get a hold of that revelation, that can change everything. Because a lot of the ways we act come out of a self-image that's warped. And the warped self-image comes from the voice of people that tainted it. 